Hello and welcome to another episode of Cast It Into the Fire podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Bill. And we're going to do a little detour from our usual Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings content, although we are going to continue with that. And we are going to be discussing the Hunger Games series by Suzanne Collins. There is currently going to be a movie coming out again. The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, November 17th. We're not jumping right into that one. We're starting from the beginning, book one, The Hunger Games. And we're, we're going to try to avoid dropping any you know spoilers connected with the movie. At the very least, we'd warn you first. <laughs> yeah, we're going to avoid dropping, I guess... Wait, spoilers for what movie? The new one? The new one. When is that even coming out? In a couple weeks. Wait, really? Yes, really. Oh, okay. And yeah, I guess uh, we'll uh, <coughs> avoid spoilers of that whenever we see that. Um, no, but we are going. What I'm going to talk about is I'm going to we're going to lengthily talk about the Hunger Games, but also we're probably going to do segues into other things that other dystopian and are fiction with the Hunger Games. And do dystopia in a, in a general. And that's getting... Well, at some point we're going to do... Are we going to do a battle royale? Or are we going to just... I don't think we're going to directly do battle royale. We're but we'll you know compare this. it with... We'll mention this because that's actually a major criticism. Uh, it's a really uh, similarity to the um, much earlier published battle royale. Was it, much, how, it was like only like five years earlier, I think. Not that much earlier. But anyway, the point is it was earlier. I know, we'll look that up. I'll fact that and check that. But it's amusing. Um, I would say Hunger Games so far, I'm only... No, okay, I've seen the movies-ish. Let's put it this way. I, I was not I was not paying that much attention to the first two movies, except for I did rewatch them at one point. Uh, I watched the last movie, and I thought that was, like, you know, interesting... <laughs> And it's a whole, uh, yeah, it's so, a whole, uh, yeah, yeah, well, Sherry just fact-checked it, yeah, when was it, when was Hunger Games? No, when was 2004, Hunger? uh, the, the film, when was the book, though? Copyright, let's look at this. The, the book. Battle Royale was copyright, okay, this is 2008. For the Hunger Games. When was the Hunger Games film? That was... 2009? I don't know. We'll see. We'll, we'll check all of that. I'm sorry. The point, <laughs> is, is that, the point is is that um, it's a criticism. I would say... 2012. I would say so far it's not necessarily justified. I mean, I would say she took inspiration probably from it. Uh, and she took probably, she might have taken inspiration for a whole slew of this. Because this is a whole genre before uh, Hunger Games. Like, we're going to talk, I, we're going to segue about uh, Running Man. Running Man was like, you, some of you probably, most of you probably, I don't know how many of you read, we'll put it this way, the story. I read it when I was in high school, and I saw the movie first, and I've seen the movie multiple times since... And it is about a man who was, uh, the justice system basically does him in his sentences. He has to be on a game show, uh, similar to this. He has to be on a game show where contestants fight to the death. Now, but this, this is like a common theme of this. This is like a neo-gladiatorial game sort of thing. Before I leave the, um, the upcoming film, I will say, um, Game of Thrones fans, uh, Peter Dinklage is going to be in it as Dean Highbottom, and the former Hunger Games films, there has also been Natalie Dormer as Cressida and um, Gwendolyn Christie as Lime. Yeah, I, I don't know exactly who these people are, but I'm just saying I am starting to read the Hunger Games one chapter at a time, and today we... I finished chapter one. We are going to go over chapter one and a lot of my raw reaction to this stuff. So far, I'm liking it, and I think uh, Suzanne Collins is actually more clever than people give her, co- her uh, 
give her credit for. But, uh, no, yeah, while we're funny. at it, as Bill said, this, um, you know, mentioning gladiatorial games, this is a series where the main premise is the youth being forced to fight to the death in an arena to keep the district subjugated from a tyrannical government. Well, explain what a district is to these to, to our listeners. This is a whole post-apocalyptic setup. Um, the world, the U.S. <laughs> we had a joke about this. It's a phonetic joke, and I apologize to all Hunger Games fans. Uh, it's the whole. The name of the U.S. country, the U.S. country. Whatever is left of the U.S. Panem, and what what was that based off of? Panem at circuses, if I'm pronouncing this correctly, bread and circuses. That, um. So it's a clever twist on that, you know, but I a clever linguistic twist on that, and I I fully acknowledge that. But I also said I could not help but wonder. I made this joke to Sarah. It's post-apocalyptic. They're trying to figure it out. They see a downed airplane. It says Pan America, Pan Am. Is this like? Like no, like this a, does not happen. But no, it, it may not. as well have. It's but. not can, but it's. Yeah, I can't help but wonder if this is a lot more clever in a lot of ways than we're giving it credit for in the first. Uh, the first bit. Anyway, go ahead, Sarah. Well, anyway, as I was saying, this is the main premise of the series. Um, what I'm saying is it, almost any uh, sensitive uh, content subject, you know, c- can oh, yeah. and will come up. Oh, yeah. If not... Massive amounts of death in all of what we're talking about. Literally, lots of violence. Um, I'm basically viewer, saying this is the Hunger advised. Games you have been warned. The listener extra discretion advised. Uh, maybe this is a little overkill since I cover Game of Thrones already, but... Yeah, you know. media is violent these days, Sarah. It's just how it is. It's what the people want. Speaking of which... Alright, so... <coughs> yes, these districts are... 12, formerly 13, um, divided areas of the land of what used to be the United States. Yep. And they're all surrounding the central capital, which is located in the Rocky Mountains. Hold on, I'm going to look it up because I have the map. Uh, So which one is the capital? It's it's where the Rockies used to be. It's going to be... Oh, there it is. Yeah, no, right in the Rockies. That's another... That is another thing. Like, a few, and again, things since then have done that. Like, before and since. Like, the Rockies are the holdout. Uh, that's sort of like a weird. I, I don't know if you know about this, Sarah. Like, and I don't know if, you know, uh, Collins knew about this exactly, but she may have. And it's like, okay. The idea is that post apocalyptic, the Rockies are going to be like a natural shelter. They're going to be. Shielded from the worst of the weather, except for that would likely not be true. Um, and it would be like in a perfect area of mountain and rivers. And all so that what stuff. about yeah, the whole thing really... about how you don't want to be in the mountains during a snowstorm? No, you don't. You don't. And it's harsh. But the idea is that a capital-ish or a government could actually uh, do that. And that's one of those things. It's like, so wait, do we know for sure the rough idea of what... Uh, so here's a thing. Here's it is thing. Yeah. very um, questionable which maps, if any, are canon. You said it was controversial. It's controversial. Now, like, have you? would you say the maps that we have... Because we, I'm looking at a map. I downloaded sort of a map, and it just lists the districts at least. Uh, it's, district, uh, it's the capital and district 1 through... 12 officially, and then there's the 13th one. The 13th, which is supposed to... We can't get into that yet. That has to be later. Sorry. Um, But do we even really know? I mean, we can see descriptions, you said. Some of them, by description, you get an idea of where they are, and some of them, it's, it's not as clear. Yeah. Like, District 12, the one that we are most concerned with, the one where our protagonist lives... It's 
it's in Appalachian coal country, and it's generally uh, thought of as maybe in like the Pennsylvania sort of area, or yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, maybe I'm being a little biased. I live in Pennsylvania, but yeah, but you grew up in Massachusetts. Now, how do you feel about going up in uh, Mass? When did you read it? When did you read all this? Oh, I was like twenty. So right before you really moved here in Pennsylvania. Yeah, but I was twenty one, twenty two ish. What did you say your thought was? Was it Pennsylvania immediately? I I'm mean, talking as a Pennsylvania. Reading it like I kind of wanted twelve to be Massachusetts, but I kind of suspected Massachusetts was really thirteen. What what what, what did you think? Um. Oh, so thirteen. <laughs> Never mind. We'll discuss this later. Anyway, but um, no, Sarah. What did you think when you read it though? When I read it, yeah. like what state or like in my mind, I was somewhat thinking more Virginia, West Virginia, Virginia West Virginia. Now, the way I'm looking at this map, and it's weird because yeah, it includes most of Appalachia, but there's a line drawn through a good chunk of it. So I don't know if that was meant to be imperfect or what, or if there's just a large amount of, uh, it, it intersects with District 6, which it says are railroads and airlines, and that's more Midwesty, um, Great Lakes region, uh, and it's one of those things, is there just a, well, I guess there, there are these black lines and these black areas in the map, and I'm guessing that's... Literally, like, they don't know. And the districts are on any of the maps the way they're drawn to be very large areas. But when you read the books, it sounds like the whole of District 12 sounds like a mid-sized town with, like, the mine stuff on the outskirts of it. Oh, yeah, I also want to go over the fact that we don't actually know. We'll address this now. We don't know what's going on in any other country. We only know the districts. That's all we, we don't know. know if there are, we don't know if anybody else in the world has survived. We don't know if they're we like, oh, we're just going to ignore crazy Panama over there. Was there. Like, do we even know how the world got into the state? I mean, we know that there was a lot of war and a lot of environmental destruction, but <laughs> that the path from USA as we know it to Panem, it's not really... Okay, do we have an idea of this, like, let's say more than 75 years before the rebellion and all that stuff? Yeah, there's like a rebellion an uprising. Uprising, I'm sorry. And that's not do really, we, we don't know enough about that either. Okay, well here we go. So anyway, uh, the book begins with Katniss waking up. Uh, she's cold and she's uh, trying to, yeah, I guess, snuggle with her sister. Uh, and they're all sleeping together. Her, her mother, her sister, and her. And they are uh, basically, um, they're in this bedroom, but I'm guessing they're in a very... They're in a really... They're in a really small house in the poor part of town called The Scene, which is mostly coal mining families. Yeah. That's weird. You get these weird names for things. Her mother, we never get her name. She's Mrs. Everdeen, and yeah. her younger sister, Primrose Everdeen, or Prim. There's a cat named Buttercup. A cat named Buttercup, and... Katniss seems to, like, hate this cat for no reason. No. Like, oh, this cat is ugly and it pisses at me. Uh, well, I, I took that kind of as affection, but it's like, okay, her, her her younger sister one day, she goes into this story about how her younger sister coming in one day and bringing this cat, and she tries to drown the cat because it's another mouth to feed, and, you know, they're near starving and poor and barely getting by on hunting and whatever work they can do. And it doesn't say what age um, Katniss was when her sister brought the cat home either. I mean, it can't have been that long, you know, based on it doesn't say, oh, the cat is old. It's but, not old and they're not old either, so I imagine probably just a couple of years ago. Like, that part struck me as 
like unnecessarily extreme. Yeah, I I understand that you know Katniss as viewed toward animals is what you'd call practical utilitarian, but killing the cat as opposed to just not keeping it—that's a very polite way of putting that term. <laughs> I would say she just views the animals as a means to an end uh, when it comes to eating or usefulness. Um, we get some interesting animal behavior in this. Let's say that. And we're only uh, one chapter in. We will, we'll get into that. Well, but, th- so, this cat is cherished by you know her sister Prim, and you know she, she loves her sister so. And so Katniss let it live, and and um, now the cat like eats the parts of the, the parts of the game that uh, they're not going to eat the entrails, else. and and the cat no longer his. It get it catches its own mice. Yeah, it's a mouser, so it's useful. Which, you know, that's kind of, I guess, meant to be a lesson to young Katniss. That, yes, things can be useful like that. (laughs) Humans have only domesticated cats for how long? Anyway. Not that she has a sense of history. Anyone else does in this story. Um, And they also have a goat, which Katniss likes a lot better. It's more tangibly useful. Wasn't it, technically? Or... Is it just, she calls it Prim's goat. It is Prim's goat. I mean, I guess somebody gave this to Prim or something? Yeah, Katniss did, but that... How, how did she get the goat? Um, that will come up it? later in the story, but yes, she she did uh, bring this goat to Prim, and the goat was not in necessarily savable shape as far as it was kind of hit or miss whether this goat would was survive. Thinking, well... Was she thinking, I'll ask this once and then we'll move on and we'll go into the details later. Was she thinking, hey, Prim, kill and eat this goat? No, it it actually was... Nimwood, sorry. It actually was... uh, She's getting a pet for her sister and and if it dies from its injuries that it already came with well that was a big waste of money and if it lives and provides milk for the family then it was a huge bargain and that's pretty much the but it was definitely intended as a <laughs> as, as a, a pet resource. as a gift a yeah. but also a as a pet, pet. Yeah. um she straight up like so she has a sense of that. buys a ribbon to put around the goat's neck to present it to her sister, so which you know is an extra. Of, she has a sense of that. She probably she recognizes the value of livestock. Anyway, this cat and her have a nice little truce. The cat no longer hisses at her, although it doesn't like her or trust her fully. She doesn't fully like her trust the cat, but she acknowledges that it is a good ratter and mouser and gives it entrails. Anyway. So, nice little relationship we have here. Um, their part of the district is called the Seam, and it's usually crawling with coal, mi- coal miners. Um, very poor, very overworked coal miners. So, coal miners. Yes. I mean, this This never has been the safest, or it has always been a dangerous, backbreakingly hard uh, kind of work to be in. Yeah, and... Uh, <laughs> It seems like there's no exception. I guess we never get a sense of the capitals, if the capital sends them supplies or anything, and they're just like, mind the coal or we'll kill you all. Like, the capital has a very iron fist over this whole thing. I'm somewhat confused about how, because it seems to be that there are peop- there are a few people that don't have to mine coal, which seems to be that they are mining coal because that is the available job that you can get it so it's mine coal or Nothing. starve. A few people have managed to get off of that by being like, oh, I'm the goat raising man or I'm I'm the baker. Yeah. But... <laughs> well, that's what there is. And I guess that's what little money there is. There's money and there's very little of it and we don't fully get what it is. Right, Sarah? We don't, we don't get what their currency is. And certain other districts, the work does come across more as directly forced, as opposed to forced by, you know, you're uh, going to survive in this economy or not. So, grueling, grueling, grueling poverty, or worse than usual. 
And this District 12, which, as I said, they're very uh, not, not consistent about the size of it, is surrounded by a chain-linked, allegedly electrified fence. Yep. And most of the time, the Capitol is not paying to keep this electrified. They just hope you think it is. So, and it's to keep the flesh eaters out. What sure is it is. What is that exactly? Wild dogs, cougars, bears. Okay. So, yes, That's apparently a... cougars have made a comeback to Pennsylvania. Well, okay. It's the East Coast in general. Um, it's not that far of a stretch, I guess. I guess, yeah, the Eastern Cougar, <coughs> which is an extinct subspecies of cougar. Well, subpopulation. We don't, we're not going to get into cougar genetics or lack thereof right now. You'll, you occasionally, <coughs> I'm not talking the Hunger You're Games anymore. Panthers, which are, were reintroduced to Florida. There was a very small amount of them left. Um, the rest were reintroduced to Texas. That's Somebody will see a house cat or a big dog and call the cops and be like, I saw a cougar and there'll be a oh, little yeah. buzz about it. And then... Oh yeah, tons of people think they see cougars here. I've yet to see any... I am a lunatic cryptozoology nut. I have yet to see any convincing evidence of cougars in the, United, in the eastern United States other than Florida. Um... And maybe somewhere like Michigan. Well, okay, there's like Michigan, it's like... They might have made it a little further east than that, but not much. Anyway. So they say it's to keep flesh eaters out. Now, personally, I don't buy that. Such a weird-ass term, and I guess that's just, uh... Oh, I think the Capitol wants to keep district people in and keep them, uh, fighting of trying to go out. Yeah, it's very much implied that. But I wanted to just say the weird terminology here, I think that is sort of weird little, uh expletory thing of what I was telling Sarah that I kind of wish there was here. And I was explaining that and comparing it to, uh, um, uh, what was it, uh, Clockwork Orange. Not entirely like that, because that was written way too much, but just have some weird future slang, which I guess we'll get some of in the future, maybe. But we'll see. There is a little bit of weird future slang in here, as we'll eventually run into, but not on the level you're hoping for. Yeah. Anyway. So, electric fence, for the people's protection, nobody really believes that. Uh, Katniss finds her way around it. Yeah, there's, like, a weak spot, like, on the underneath where she can just slide right under and go and find where her dad used to, like, stash a bow and arrow in the woods. Oh, he is no longer alive. He died in a... Um, extremely brutal mining accident. Yep. And we, uh, the, her, her mother was, uh, left to, uh, be with, uh, her daughter and, uh, her. And, and, and she, she did not handle losing her husband, you know. No, she and became extremely depressed. She became extremely and depressed and was not functional enough to take care of either daughter and finally Katniss, Ka- Katniss stepped up and started hunting and foraging food to keep the family alive. And she she uh, has this relationship with her mother where she tries to forgive and love her, but it's very hard for her because she loved her dad. Uh, she wants to honor her dad, but she is angry at her mother for this. But her dad um, did, you know, while he was still alive, um, teach her some foraging ways, and he had a few um, bows built, which was, well, designed, which was highly uh, illegal. That would be considered a weapon. That's, and so um, sneaking out to hunt for your, for your own. That's viewed as poaching and trespassing. And but if you're, if you're poaching and trespassing and having anything that counts as, like, a viable weapon, that's... Uh, that yet's yeah, getting into uh potentially getting executed if you're directly caught yeah. doing so. Yeah, so she takes a huge risk going out every day. She meets with some guy named Gail, who's I guess a couple of years her senior and is basically a young man but mature for his age type. And he he's doing the same. He's got a big family to feed, you know, lots of uh, younger siblings. lots of younger siblings. Um I I'm not sure I guess his dad probably isn't alive either. 
either that. It feels like his parents are either not alive or incapacitated. His mom is alive, but she, <laughs> she, her job is not paying enough to take care of that many kids. Yeah, he has a lot of kids. He's and her and uh, him and Katniss used to be competitors, and now they work together to maximize their profits and to uh, give each other food. And the the law enforcement slash military throughout the districts are called peacekeepers. <laughs> now, again, nice little. I mean, this is a kids level book mostly. It's meant to be a little uh, meant to introduce people to the, uh, the ironies and language there. Uh, Twelve, at least at this point in the story, does not actually have the most uh, strong peacekeeper presence. As in, unless it's a major time of year when the capital are more present in the town, they're more likely to be buying illegal poached game because they want fresh meat too than actually enforcing it as long as... Um, the poachers are relatively discreet about it. Like, don't, like, openly carry a bow and arrow through town. Well, in other districts, it's a lot worse. Yep. Um, there's mention of, um... Dangers that are in the woods, no real paths to follow... Venomous snakes, um, that would, of course, be the timber rattlesnake and the copperhead going by location. Yeah. Maybe the Massasauga. Well, assuming they're still around then. Assuming they're uh, still around, they're not doing well now. And also maybe, uh, Cottonmouth, if it goes far south enough. Well, actually, no, it doesn't probably go to Virginia, so. I don't know. It's not clear. Anyway, so... And that's assuming, okay, I am going to say this. I'm sorry, I'm going to say this. I wasn't going to say this, but you actually brought up snakes. I have met plenty of people that are very experienced woods people and know their shit about a lot of woods. Sorry about the swear, whatever. I'm not. Uh, A lot of these people would not know a venomous snake if one fell into their lap. They'll see a water snake. They'll see a garter snake. They'll insist it's cottonmouth will freak out because they never bothered to learn anything other than snakes bad. And that's all they need to learn. And yes, that is a thing. That is a thing that... And yeah, there are plenty of experienced woods people that are more knowledgeable than I will ever be in snakes. But there are a lot that are not. There are a lot that are just like... And it's the same thing with like any sort of bug or whatever. We'll see like a crane fly and be like, Ah, it was a mega mosquito. Or something. It's 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 a thing. Anyway. And I'm not really sure where, you know, Katniss yeah, falls on this continuum. Katniss uh, is. We had a huge discussion on how reliable a narrator she is. We've determined that she is a reliable narrator for the first three For books? the first two books. First two, two books. Then things start to happen and we I've seen the movies, so I know what starts to happen. Um I mean again I have a general idea. I haven't read the books yet. This is my first read. Anyway. And anyway, also, while they're out in the woods, um, Gail can go on political rants about the Capitol without... Yeah, and Katniss is very reluctant. Here's an interesting thing. This is very interesting. (laughs) Katniss is very reluctant to do this, even with Gail, even when she knows there's nobody listening, because she is so paranoid. She thinks somebody's listening. That is actually a major thing in actual totalitarian governments. That was a very, very, very good... Uh, example of that. Like, there are people that will be afraid to talk about that sort of thing uh, even when nobody is around because they don't know. For all they know, they're being spied on somehow by the government. And she fears the capital and that's sort of a nice little early example is the thing for the capital to be feared and to uh, worry about them. Anyway. And apparently, uh, Katniss used to say some uh, 
stuff at home too and scare her family with, you know, but what might be repeated. What if her younger sister said any of the same stuff out loud in front of the wrong person, so... I think that, uh... After her dad died, it sounds like she changed. Away. Yeah. So anyway. So they've got a spot that's um, a rock ledge overlooking a valley with um, some nice blackberry bushes there. That's kind of their hideout. Um. And they see they you know they get along well. Gail Gail has a nickname for her called Catnip, which <laughs> is very. It's there's another weird animal story here where there's a lynx that followed her around looking for handouts, which is a very unlike wild animal behavior. Um, and she eventually killed it. I'm assuming with her bow and arrow, and uh, because he he scared uh, Gail. And she got a pr- decent price for his pelt. And it's one of those things... Uh, I want to remind say, everyone how big a lynx is. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right, we're going to presume just for the heck of it that this is uh, in, indeed in Pennsylvania. And in Pennsylvania, we don't have uh, larger lynx. We have uh, the bobcat, which is, I think, lynx rufus. Um, oh, um, let me be sure. Rufus. Yeah, that's a bobcat. And bobcats are probably... A bobcat would be basically... Not quite nim-sized, but pretty big. Uh, bigger than most cats. Okay, nim being my dog, which is, um... Oh, she all hey, who she just woke up growling because I petted her while she was asleep. Um, Here's Nim. Nim's got great special effects. Um, uh, on the vet scale, which she cheerfully sits on, she's 46.4 pounds every time. Yeah, and that, well, Bobcat, that'd be like 30 pounds. Well, 46.6. Hello, Nim. You have a good sleep? Yeah. Yeah, 33 pounds is about the maximum. Now, there are lynxes. Uh, larger lynxes, like the Eurasian lynx, which get bigger than that. But, uh... Canadian lynx is pretty big, too. Yeah, but, um, bobcats aren't that big, so it was probably a bobcat. And uh, yet I get a feeling that the author meant Canadian lynx. You never know. We don't know how things are doing. But either way, lynxes don't really uh, follow humans around asking for food at all, ever. But you never know. I mean, this is a weird little uh, thing that uh, made me ask about that. But anyway, that's a side, a side, uh, a side thing. She is uh, friends with Gail, and they're at market is the Hob, which is the black market. They're trading things like pelts and. Uh, other Me. trinkets and <coughs> and uh, today Gail has a loaf of real bakery bread not the not the loaves made from the grain <coughs> rations that people get out of I guess rough unappetizing grain is this is this another one of those things where white bread is supposed to be delicious and no, it means that the grain's not processed properly, which is a thing that can happen, um, especially in, you know, poor countries with a bad infrastructure. Well, Gail traded a whole squirrel for it with the baker, and he thinks that uh, the baker was feeling sentimental <laughs> to um, give him that good a trade. Oh, I probably TMI'd my Game of Thrones listeners when I went a little too far in discussing how much I've had to do with um, frozen rodents when I was uh, volunteering for a place with owls and reptiles and how not appetizing I found the idea of eating one and how I compared squirrel to it rightly or wrongly because I've never 
tried either one. I know a lot of people do eat squirrel. I'm on the fence on whether I would accept it or not if somebody ever, like, offered. But... I'll say a lot of people, uh... Like, more rural areas do eat it. There's, um... People make squirrel tacos and... Cook it like chicken, basically. I'd be a bit more wary of squirrel out west where some of them have plague, but it's probably reasonably... It's probably reasonably safe elsewhere if it's totally cooked. Yeah. <sighs> so, yeah, you just have to be very, very careful with that stuff. Which we go into, because there's things like dog uh, for sale and all that, which we already mentioned. Um, and you have to be very, very, very careful about cooking out certain things if you actually do that, which they presumably are. But, you know. I'm, yeah, it comes up that um, Katniss does hunt dogs for meat, not but she doesn't target them on purpose, but if she thinks she's going to be attacked by one that's behaving aggressively. And I'm like, don't say that after you just mentioned rabbit animals being in the woods. Yeah, this is something Sarah thinks about. Yeah. <laughs> Even now, more so than I do. I know this puts me on some level hypocrite. I'm really against eating dog in real life. I know that without being vegan, that makes me... I mean... I know pigs and cows can, you know, be friendly pets, too. I... You have a dog, though. I have a dog, yes. That's all that's really Anyways. But so. the, the thing about dogs in this series is they're, they're pushing it in, you know, strongly that this is... Well, this whole thing is... Uh, this is a tough, post-apocalyptic, unsentimental meat society is, where meat is, meat is meat. Yeah, meat is meat. Um, nonetheless, eating wild dog that has already displayed aggression toward humans, that is, that's a risk. Um, it, it also talks about how Katniss is, um, collecting medicinal plants for her mother's, um, apothecary shop. Most people can't afford to go to the real doctor. Nope. So, she's got... Her mother's got this apothecary shop which has um, herbal remedies. It's got some of basically the equivalent of over-the-counter medicine. It's got a little bit very rationed of um, stronger kind of what you would consider prescription painkillers that what about antibiotics? That Those does not mean... come up. <laughs> so are antibiotics lost or are antibiotics so rare they're not Oh they're rare. they're not lost. The capitals got them. Well, I don't know how accessible it I feel like this implies they're not accessible at all. I don't think it's very accessible. And I don't know whether it's the sort of thing that maybe she has a few that cost a lot of money and ration just like the painkillers are or it sounds like she's mostly using herbs plants and maybe the equivalent of like Tylenol so oh I'm gonna so I've actually been a plant forager in my area for years so I'm approaching this series as somebody who, you know, is actually into foraging plants and, you know, fishing in the woods. And I'll sometimes, you know, talk about that and, like, maybe compare my own experiences. But I cannot teach you how to forage over the podcast. I don't know where you live. 
Um, I don't know everything. I'm still, you know, always learning new stuff, even, you know, having forged in um, the northeastern U.S. for years. I I misidentified a plant today. <laughs> what was it? I misidentified horse chestnut as regular oh, yeah, chestnut, which, you know, that would be bad if you ate them. Well, how bad? Horse chestnuts are poisonous. Regular chestnuts Can aren't. You cook that out of them. Or? Allegedly, there's a way to. Do I trust it? Not really. Okay. There you go. Foraging and how. Um, how bad it can go. If you're interested in getting into foraging yourself, I actually really strongly do encourage it, but. Read books, read lots of books, um, get a local experience mentor, take a class. Um, don't trust those plant ID apps. They're, they're the equivalent of a Google reverse image search. They're not precise. Use it to point you in the right direction, but don't trust it as your final say. And At the moment, there's... Okay, I know there's a lot of controversy going on about the use of AI, but one of the more problematic things is that AI is being used to make plant and mushroom ID guides. Oh yeah, don't do that. That's dangerous. Well, here's the thing. Uh, yeah, don't you trust anything that's fully AI. Um, if somebody is using a system, make sure you research that first. But honestly, the only way to truly understand that is learn it yourself, which takes years and years and years and years of practice. If if a book is, like, a little too new and you can't find any reference to the author even existing beyond the front cover title, that's a sign it's an AI thing. Yeah, so anyway. I recommend the Audubon and Peterson field guards (sighs) as, you know... Pretty good, reputable ones to start out with. <laughs> I guess so. For uh, for some things, I recommend Peterson more than anything. Um, but those aren't necessarily mushrooms. Yeah, Audubon's pretty good for identification, but um, it doesn't go as far into like what's edible and how to use it. Yeah. So anyway, um. Prim uh, gave Katniss this cheese from her goat. Um, a little tiny goat cheese. Yeah, for uh, for a, uh, I guess it's for reaping day. And um, uh, Gail says to him, says to her, sorry, says to Katniss, happy hunger games. Um... And, you know, they say the whole may odds be ever in your favor. <laughs> in a ridiculous fake capital <laughs> accent. <laughs> so, so, wait, the capitals and the Rockies, like, what would the accent even be? I mean, do we ever know? Do we ever go into that? We just know that it's that weird accent. And may the odds be ever in your favor. See, that's how it's done in the sh- movies. But that's how they always do things. The U.S. US movies loves to use British accents or faux British accents for that sort of thing. They've been doing it since before. And why would somebody from the Rockies sound British? Yeah, so well, it could have been, I, I don't know. I'd have to get some Colorado accents uh, to make fun of for that one. I don't know. I'd have to even figure out what that is. I've been there a number of times, but there's no real accent that I see. Like it's sort of that. You get like a western accent. But they all be ever in your fight. Well, let's, uh... Anyway, but, um... Let's talk about Reaping Day. Yeah, so Reaping Day is apparently some kind of festival revolving around the Hunger Games. I thought it was, like, involving the harvest, but I guess... Uh... No, everybody is supposed to come to the town square and... All the 12 to 18-year-olds have to come and uh... oh, they take a little blood drop. Wait, they do? Yeah, they I do. Don't remember reading that part. Well, they 
You get their name and they enter your name in a little ballot. Thing. Oh, that was a movie thing. The no, they mentioned it here. Oh, the blood drop. Yeah. Okay, I was gonna say they mentioned the ballot thing here. They enter their names in a ballot, and what is it when you're twelve to thirteen? Twelve to eighteen. <laughs> but no, they, but, no, but they're they're it? grouping it, them by age for yeah, where they're so standing. It's like Twelve to thirteen, it's like what, like three times or something. Yes, the older you are, the more times your name goes into the ballot, and you can also, in exchange for a meager supply of more grain and oil, you can get your name put in extra times. And both Katniss and Gail have done this to provide for their families. While Katniss has um, forbidden Prim to do the same herself. And so that means if you're both, you know, one of the older kids and you have um, like maybe a larger family more desperate for food and you've put your name in extra times for more grain, which they call tesserae, you might have your name in a lot of times. And you're, and everybody has to attend unless they're literally dying, and the Capitol will show up at your house and check to make sure that that's the reason you're not there. Yeah. And you're supposed to, like, pretend that you're having fun with this. Yeah, make, make, make so you wonder how many people will be like, Oh, I'm dying. <laughs> They're faking it. <laughs> Sorry. That sneeze scared the cat. Yeah. Um. Um. Katniss and Gail spend a lot of t- of the day, even though it's reaping day, gathering gra- gathering greens, strawberries, going fishing. Uh. Whole dozen fish by late morning. Okay, they got better fishing luck than me, which uh, makes sense if they're the only ones out there doing it. Yeah. And they go to the hub, which, as we mentioned, the black market. Trade off some of the greens and fish in exchange for, like, other goods they might need. Um, there's one woman who's named... How do you pronounce this? Greasy Say? Who yeah, sells soup from a big kettle and is one of the few buyers... Yes, the only one who can consistently be counted on to buy the feral dog meat, which she calls beef when it's in the stew. So there you go. There's your Game of Thrones bowls of brown. And yes, peacekeepers are coming to the hob too to buy meat. They're not... As I said, they're not necessarily enforcing the poaching thing unless you're blatant about it. Well, the illegal part there would be that you have anything to shoot it with. Alright, let's say a rabbit came onto my land and I killed it, or the land I was tending and I killed it. Would that be poaching? It would depend on, uh, like, did you throw a rock at it or did oh, you? Is it the queen's rabbit? Is it the queen's? <laughs> is it the queen's dove? Like, is that how they're gonna do that? Is no, that they're gonna be like, did it's you the have? Queen's rat. Did you have it's a bow and arrow rat. to? I used a. I used my shoe. I threw my shoe at it. Well, if they actually believe you that you threw your shoe at it, then you no, probably find. Confiscated, wouldn't it? Because it's the queen's rat. What if somebody just lost their mind and just said that to somebody and just like, I can imagine some poor rookie like, capital agent going like all like tough and then like just some grizzled old dude just kicking the crap out of him saying, "Oh, I'm sorry. Is this your rat? Is this your rat that I threw my shoe at?" And like his 
but he's just not doing anything about it. Anyway, moving on. Um, yes, I should also make mention that um, the mayor's daughter, Madge, Yeah. she's in the same year at school as Katniss. Yeah. Yeah, Bill was asking me, like, how's the education? Do they go to school? And I'm they like, go to school. they go to school and they apparently all go to the same school. I mean, in the, the district. So is Madge exempt from the Hunger Games? Madge is not exempt from the Hunger Games, but she would not have a reason to have her name in more than a few times. Madge is not somebody who is likely to get picked. Uh-huh. And why is that? Well, her father, the mayor, is going to be significantly more well-to-do than the rest of the town, so they're not it's, getting tesserae rations out of desperation. So it is it is very much geared towards the poor, and Katniss points that out. And uh, there's, there's even a, a thing where, oh, she wore her pretty dress to the reaping, and um, Gail says something about it that may or may not have been sarcastic, and... Um, Madge seems kind of offended about it. And she also has this small gold pin on her dress, real gold, which, you know, if you sold that, that could feed a family for a long time. And, you know, Madge is most likely not trying to uh, come across that way at all. It's just, you know, her dad's the mayor. She didn't didn't choose that, but that's how it is. And Katniss doesn't understand why uh, Gail and uh, this, what was this other woman's name? It was, uh, uh, Madge. No, the other one. The other one, the one that was rented to Say what I what her name Gre- is. Greasy say. Yeah. Didn't she say something you said about Madge? No. Was it Gail? Oh, it was Gail. Yeah, she doesn't understand why Gail's upset about it. Well, she understands why Gail's upset. She doesn't understand why Gail bothers to get upset and yell at her in the middle of the woods about it. Uh, she feels it's kind of a waste. So anyway. So yeah, it goes on about <coughs> how with the system being the way it is, Gail is 18 and has been taking a lot of those tesserae rations for feeding a family of five. And so his name is in the um, the boys uh, I guess name pool to pull out 42 times. Yeah, very high uh, likelihood. Katniss just frets over Pim, even though Pim is Prim is very uh, she's young, so it's only a Prim is time. twelve, so her name would be in there once, and Prim was not allowed to take out any extra rations, so she didn't have it any extra times. Yeah. So it goes on about how the uh, this is. Uh, <laughs> This whole thing is punishment for an uprising 75 years ago, um, which we briefly discussed. It was an uprising where uh, it ends now with uh, there has to be a male and female representative from each district. Each district, was it? Each district. So, that's punishment, and it's also for the capitalists to keep tabs on people. I should have... Explained this earlier, but uh, do you want to read off the things the different districts do? No, you go ahead. The list is on your oh, phone. Okay. All right. Hold on. I'm gonna bring up the list. District twelve is coal mining. District six, which is right next door, is. Railroads and airlines. Or transportation. District uh, 11, which is the south area in general. Um, 
and it's apparently Florida is underwater and probably these neighboring areas of, in Georgia and Louisiana are as well. But uh, what's remaining is uh, in the south, and that's District 11. The District 4 is fishing. Agriculture. Well, fishing, yeah. District 10 is livestock. This, which is District 10 in the, in the southwest, or what's left of it. Four is District the one. Two is, which is further west is stone masonry. And there's the capital. District 1 is luxury. Oh, platinum metals. That's going to be brutal. So you want to talk about brutal. That's going to be way brutal. Um, so. District 3 is technology about hardware. That. Um, so that probably is like how the transportation and uh, the others are. Uh, yeah, there. District 7 is lumber. That's the entire Northwest. And uh, the Midwest, a large amount of the North Midwest. And the uh, rest of the uh, very central, uh, what's left of the U.S. is power. And that's District 5. Did you get to. Uh, which district was Grand? Oh, that's District 9. There you go. District 9 is Grand. And Aliens. Sorry, that's a joke. (laughs) And District 13, uh, we're not talking about that yet. Now, 4. District 13 is Graphite Nuclear Power, it says. (laughs) Oh, boy. Anyway. District 4, Fishing. That's the one that it's especially inconsistent on the different maps. Yeah. Most of them put it like in the Gulf of Mexico area. No, it shows it there. It's just, uh, but I've seen maps that put it on the east coast. I've seen maps that put it on the west coast. I think the west coast map is supposed to be like a more canon-ish source than... Honestly, I think there's a pretty decent map because it shows that the Gulf of Mexico is really more like the Sea of Mexico, the, the open Sea of Mexico going to the vast Atlantic Ocean. Uh, but we don't know what's going on further south uh, in Mexico like I said don't know what's going on in other countries and apparently District 1 whether this is realistic or not is one of the least oppressed by the capital Yeah. yeah the one you said would be brutal oh well that would have to be one of the most because that's mining, but mining for rare earth metals. That's just going to be an open pit and like, with like sheer toxicity. Maybe it's least depressed because they just throw people there to die. Um, anyway, that's assuming that is what it is. Um, we'll just say mining for rare earth metals. Metals in general is a very, 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 very brutal occupation. There's a bit more description of uh, the fancier end of District 12. They've got a square with um, different shops that apparently is a pretty pleasant place to be on market day. But right now, the capitals. Got a camera crew just on the rooftop sitting around like buzzards. Yep. Um, they've got some big screens up for the people who can't get a like, front row seating of the um, reaping. Katniss is grouped together with a bunch of other 16-year-olds. They're all watching. Um. And Madge's uh, father, Mayor Undersea, is supposed to I'll get out and, you know, ceremonially be there for this. And they have Effie Trinket come from the capital for, to be District 12's escort. Hey, who's this Effie Trinket? Effie Trinket. That is mahogany! <sighs> uh, her thing is wearing ridiculous, ridiculous outfits and acting annoyingly peppy all the time about, well, this. And she badly wants to get a better district from 12 (coughs) 
than 12 to be doing this for because 12 is kind of viewed as a bit of a joke by the capital. Yeah. Yeah, she's got pink hair and a spring green suit. Somehow I read that and I'm picturing her looking like the Joker. I'm... And then you get, uh... <laughs> then you get, uh, the... Talk about the former victors of the district. Uh, and uh, of District 12 victors, there's only 74 years that have been to two. Only one of which is two a lot, is still alive. Hamish Abernathy. And this oh, is Woody Harrelson's film in the role, in the film. Yes. Which they don't describe him as Woody Harrelson. He's described it as, well, okay, I guess he's supposed to be sort of podgy in the film. But I'm imagining, like, a smaller, like, fatter, bald guy, basically. Um, and he's flat out drunk all the time, always, pretty much. Well, he's that way in the films, too. And that is a good way to use Woody Harrelson. Uh... He's drunk not 100% of the time. Uh, he gets uh, token applause and tries to give Effie Trinket a, a, a hug. And she manages to fend it off. Yeah, I'm just imagining, like I said, Sarah to Sarah, a drunk mayor of, uh, in a Simpsons episode where he's like, Oh, you, got, you gotta help me. You gotta, like, he's just so drunk. And uh, That's pretty much it, yes. He's He's... Uh, he's there, though. He's making it awkward. The mayor looks distressed. And, uh, it's all being televised. So. And this is the one and only surviving victor from District 12. And they've only had two ever. And, um, there are reasons for this. And she does the whole, Effie Trinket does the whole Happy Hunger Games. May the odds ever be in her favor. And, you know, Katniss mentions how it must be a... Her hair must be away because her curls have shifted slightly off center. Um, she goes on to, about how much of an honor it is. This is clearly like a celebrity that, as Sarah said, nobody really takes that seriously. <laughs> and so they're just like anxiously waiting to find out who it's going to be, and some of the less scrupulous. People are even, like, placing bets. Yeah. So, she, uh, digs her her hand for the the girls' names, uh, first, and she pulls out a slip of paper, and... Reads off the name, Primrose Everdeen. It's Primrose. It's Prim. She was only there once, so I guess that's meant to be like, oh, what are the odds? And it's going to upend everything. That is the chapter. Yes, on on that cliffhanger. So, like I said, I think it's uh, pretty entertaining, pretty brilliant. I mean, it's young adult fiction. It's written in that way. (coughs) It is believable enough that it is written by some girl named Katniss who's experiencing this. So, yeah, well done. And, uh, you have anything else to say about this? Oh, I have a lot we can say, but we're gonna save some of this for the next podcast. I mean, yes, I've got more to explain about this, but I'm going to explain it as it comes up in the book. And I'm going to discuss more about, like I said, post-apocalyptic gladiatorial, uh, as a genre in general, but we're going to, uh, it'll be... Yeah, he, he had me read, um, Battle Royale's research for this, and I did it, I read... And I discussed, uh, other franchises, like I said, I discussed Running Man, gonna discuss, uh, various other, uh, franchises, we might even discuss Gladiator, because we were discussing, uh, some of the drama. Well, Gladiator is meant to be just classic gladiatorial sword and sandals stuff. It has an air to the drama to this. Oh, in case uh, you're curious, very... you know what else Suzanne Collins is known for writing? What? The Little Bear animated series from Nick Jr. Well, there you go. 
And a series called um, Gregor the Overlander, which I own the books. I tried to get into them. I do intend to try again because I don't want to... I read two to three chapters in and wasn't really, really feeling it. Now, it's meant for ten-year-olds, pretty much, and, you know, maybe I would have been more into it at ten, or maybe it does get more interesting and I'm just... You know, haven't read far enough into it. It appears to be kind of geared toward the same kind of readership as maybe, like, Harry Potter would be directed at. That's kind of how this feels. This is for younger. Okay, I don't know. It's all kind of... Although, I will say one of the books does have, like, a picture of this giant lizard on the front, which is intriguing, but... It all kind of is the same to me. So, anyway, we'll discuss more of this next time. Thank you for listening to Cast Into the Fire podcast, and stay tuned for more Game of Thrones and more Fellowship of the Ring. And yes, we will eventually get around to doing the animated Return of the King movie, too. Um, yeah, thanks for listening, and have a great evening. Good night.